Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is filled with thanksgiving. He's filled with joy. Even though he's writing to the beloved Philippians from prison. And what was his crime? What did he do wrong? He told people about Jesus. And the world will accept that, except when you say there's only one way to heaven. And it's Jesus. It's Christ alone. And that's what Paul preached. And that's what Paul experienced. That's what he knew. That Christians are called out of the darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. And that happened in Paul's life. So loved ones, we are commanded to let our lights shine. This is what Paul did. And for his faithfulness to Christ, he paid a high price. He suffered but he wanted these Philippians, these loved ones, he wanted them to know how to have joy in every situation. There's a lot of times when we go through life together and we go with others and they may be going through a valley of grief and we can somewhat see what they're going through, but we can't comprehend it because we're not there. We have empathy, we have concern, we have compassion, but we, we reach the end of our limits and we don't fully know what they're experiencing in that grief. Paul is writing from prison. So there would be no one in Philippi that could say, well, you know, Paul doesn't understand what I'm going through. He hasn't faced my situation yet. Paul did. He understood. So when we come to the word of God, I love how the word of God washes over our thinking, sometimes it's bad thinking. Sometimes it's just deficient thinking. We don't know what we don't know yet. We don't know it by experience. But when we hear someone with experience, and it's not just all of the fine blessings of life, when they suffer and they go through trials and they still have hope, that's a person we can lean on. He's inspired by the Spirit of God. He comes out of the, what we saw last week, the greatest message ever given, which is what we have just been singing about this morning, which is the grace of God. And he says in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's where we'll stop today. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what happens when a generation becomes entitled? What happens when we, in our relationships, become entitled? That someone owes us. Instead of being thankful, we start keeping lists of, well, you, you, you did this, and you said that, and we, we become list keepers. But this all changes if we're thankful. If we consider past civilizations that have come under divine judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah, 
Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Israel, Rome. And then we think about the country where we live. Right? We know our history. What about this country as we press hard to turn our back away from everything that we were founded upon that was right? Paul described in the book of Romans a culture that's handed over for judgment. Paradidomy is the Greek word. It means handed over. You've been tried, convicted, and now you're sentenced and you're handed over, you're let go. And, the, and now the imagery that Paul is using is when, you know, you might have a stubborn child. No, let me, I want to go. And the parent's like, no, no, no. And then the parent says, okay, and they fall down. And then they look at the parent like, what? You let me fall down. You hurt me. In their perception, that's what happened. You were telling me no, and then you let me go. And, the, and through the Apostle Paul, this is God's word to, to a culture, and this is what happens, uh, Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or, and let this sink in, give thanks to him. Because, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts, what happened? The lights went out. Is it a big deal to just not be thankful? Is it a big deal in God's perspective to think you owe me? It is. And we're watching the depravity of humanity become more evident and more prevalent and more celebrated but lest we become too dark and depressed here, let's go back to a letter from the third century. It'll come up on the screen. This is a letter written from Cyprian to his friend Donatus. I'm going to read it. I know the font might be a little small. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the seas. In the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds under all roofs, misery and selfishness. He continues, it really is a bad world, Donatus. An incredibly bad world, third century. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I am one of them. Think about that. Third century, here we are, what, 18 centuries later? All oh, the world's never been like this. Really? This is the heart of humanity. What they didn't have in the third century was social media to fully display that heart and to celebrate what ought to be mourned over. Does this letter sound like a paid advertiser? or a satisfied customer. You know the difference? To pay someone for that product and you, like, and you, and you watch that commercial and you're like, 
There is no way that multi-Super Bowl champion drives that car. There's no way he drives that car. He's paid to advertise that car for people who that fits in their budget to drive that car. Versus someone that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and they are an eyewitness of his majesty and they tell others what they've experienced. So here are a few questions that we need to kind of do a self-diagnosis with this morning. Am I, are we as a people, but specifically, am I more prone to give thanks or am I more prone to complain? Now I'm watching to see who looks at the people beside him that lives with, that they live with, right? Like, oh, you complain. Well, what about you? You complain. Is my life characterized by joy and peace or by discontent and conflict? Am I seeking to get satisfaction from things or people or places or accomplishments? Or am I looking for ways to invest into people? Think about this. This is what separates a follower of Jesus Christ from the rest of the world. It's we have been given all that we ever will need. And he blesses us, and we're thankful. Colossians 3.15, Paul said, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Isn't this amazing how all of our years' messages and sermons just come down to Thanksgiving Sunday and giving thankfulness to God? He always knows exactly what we need in the right time. So what do we need to learn about Thanksgiving? What do we need to learn about a life of thankfulness and prayer from the Apostle Paul, this great apostle? What does gratitude expressed through a life of prayer look like? Let's, uh, let's unpack this text this morning. Paul's life of gra- gratitude was displayed in, number one, a right focus. All right, he had a right focus. He was giving thanks to our God. He said, I thank my God. He had a right focus. He began in the right place. He started out at the right point, and that was looking to the Lord. Because grace received results in grace being given. And this is what Paul's life was all about. He received the grace of God, not to hoard it, but to give it to others, to share this message with others. So he says, I thank. Now, now the, the Greek word for thank, you're like, oh boy, here we go in Greek class. But you're gonna, this one's going to sound familiar to you. It's what my, my camping neighbor up at Lakeport this summer, uh, it, he was from somewhere else in, in this area. The Eucharist, the Eucharist is what the Eucharist. He kept talking to me about the Eucharist. Like every conversation we have with the Eucharist, I said, well, let's talk about Jesus, the Eucharist. You know, That's the word, Eucharisto. It's the word for give thanks. And so the early church linked what are we doing when we go through communion, which is what we're going to be observing today, the Lord's table, is giving thanks for what he did. It is finished. It's done. So it wasn't a continuation. It was a looking back in remembering Jesus. Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks... 
He broke it and gave, the, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in. So giving thanks is connected to our remembering. Okay? It, it, whenever we are, if I'm not thankful, then I'm forgetting. I'm thinking about the wrong things. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about anything else. I'm not remembering or I'm remembering the wrong things. Do this in remembrance of me. So giving thanks is directly connected to remembrance. If we forget the grace of God, what we sang about this morning, if we ever forget how merciful God has been to us, then we will become entitled. Someone owes me something. Proper thanksgiving, loved ones, begins with looking up, and this is what Paul shows for us. This is how he has a right focus. It's the vertical first. Because God alone is worthy of all the glory and all the praise. So can I ask us the question this morning, where is your focus of worship and thanksgiving? What are you focusing? What am I focusing on? If you're going to enter into a building project, they always set a key point, an anchor point on the project. Every measurement happens from that point. If you start in the wrong place, everything in the project is going to be messed up. Paul begins at the right place with the person he looks up. The psalmist said in Psalm 136, verse 1, give, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures how long? Forever. There it is. Has said, unmerited favor, steadfast love endures forever. So Paul had a right focus. Do we have a right focus? Number two, a real friendship. Paul gave thanks for people. He says, in all my remembrance of you. This guy was a good friend. This guy loved people. And I would encourage you, just look at, read, read through the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. Read to the end of uh, the letter to the Romans. And look, look at all of the names that he mentions as it comes to a close. How different he sounds from us too often of me, my, I. And Paul says, he and she and they, oh, they blessed me, they helped me, they encouraged me. Paul was always raising up others. He was a real, true friend. I mean, even this letter, Paul and Timothy, Servants of Christ Jesus. It's not just Paul and then some more Paul. He's always devoted to raising up others. Paul rarely thanked God for things. Now think about this. Paul rarely, when you read his prayers, rarely is he saying, um, Lord, thank you for the safe trip. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this. Well, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for health. I thank you for the other. He is very often thanking God for something far more substantial. He thanked God for people. He was overwhelmed by the grace of God, and that set the course for the rest of his life and ministry. When I was a kid, it was taught it this way, Jesus, others, you. The acronym, joy. Whenever that gets turned around, it's, you know, me and then others, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to work Jesus in somewhere except he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we'll come to that in Philippians 2. Paul routinely thought of others more than himself, more than self. And when he thought about them, he couldn't help 
but thanking God for them. He's like, you know, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Whenever I think about you, I thank God for you. You know, as your faces that I'm looking at this morning, I can't see people online, but the faces that I'm seeing, when, when your face comes across through a name, through an email, through a, a text message, through a prayer list from the church, when your name comes, when your face comes to my mind, I'm, I'm just plagiarizing, I'm just stealing Paul's, you know, I, I thank God for you in every remembrance of you. Some of you I see on, out there on a mower, you know, some are in drama, some are in the back, some are in nurseries, kids' church. I thank God for you. Some are just in the kitchen. You can find them in the kitchen time and time again. They're serving. I thank God for you. This is what Paul is saying. When I think about you, his memory was saturated with thanksgiving. Now, what's interesting, and we've talked about these two ladies because he knows what he needs to communicate in the letter. And there's Yodia and Syntyche, all right? These two ladies are at odds. And what I learned this week is he's using their names because Yodia means fragrant. That's what her name means. And Syntyche means fortunate. And he's going to get to that in a later chapter, in a later message in this letter. But he's actually saying, I give joy for you, even though it's unfortunate that you're not living up to your name right now. It's unfortunate that the fragrance coming out of this relationship in Philippi, it's not smelling too good. It's a different kind of fragrance. We're familiar with fragrances around here, right? We live not too far from the mountain down the road, and there's a fragrance that comes out of that. And so when Paul writes, he's writing and he's saying, there's some fragrance coming out of Philippi, and we're going to need to address that. But you know how he does this in joy? He loves these ladies. He loves them too much to leave them at odds with one another and not working it out and not growing together in holiness. Think about the people that God has used in your life to bring the grace of God to you, the peace of God in your life. They brought the gospel to you that we studied last Sunday, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's available to anyone. Think about the, someone told you that you can't earn your way to heaven. Someone told you the truth about you and that is you're a sinner and you're separated from God and he's holy. And then someone told you you have a problem, but he made a way for you. He sent his one and only son and there's nothing you can do to deserve that, to earn that. And baptism won't get it and membership and communion won't get it, but you must repent of your sin and trust in him alone. Someone told you that message or if you're saying this morning, no, actually no one's ever told me that message, guess what? You just heard that message. I'm telling you this message. It's a message of grace. That God is willing to pardon you and forgive you of all your sin. And no, you don't deserve it. No, I don't deserve it. But he's that good that he can be the justifier and just and not violate his own character because Christ suffered and died and he bore the wrath of God that should have fell on it should have come on me so the picture is like an umbrella or even the psalmist uses it like a mother hen and Jesus even said this over Jerusalem oh that you would have come to me and I would have gathered you under my wings but you were not willing to come you wouldn't come and that the judgment fell and on him 
Anyone who's in Christ, the judgment falls on him so that it doesn't fall on us. But for the person who will not come to him, for the person who says, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I've done these things. Well, I've done those other things. I'm good in these ways. Uh, we'll forget about the ways I'm bad. We'll talk about the more of the things I've done good. I'm trying. I hope I can, what we saw a few weeks ago, be a saint one day. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't a 90-10 deal. It's 100% he saved me. Amen. He rescued me. Without that, we have not an unbreakable chain. We have a breakable chain. If I'm part of that salvation, I'm breakable. It's unbreakable because he saved me and all who come by faith and trust in Christ. Number three, Paul had a regular frequency here. He said, I give thanks at all times. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Not just some of them, okay? Every, every church has people in it. So there are always some people that are easier. Like, oh, it's easy to pray for them. And then there's some other wayward sheep. You know, there's some others that are a little more fighting, biting, kicking, and Paul says, I pray for you all. I'm always, every time I think of you, I'm praying for you, all of you. Not just the special ones to Paul, all of you. This is a regular frequency. He's saying, you're always on my mind. Well, I could sing that song for you, but no, you don't want me to do that, all right? And that's good. That's wonderful. Paul is saying, you're always on my mind. There's this bond of love that was all the way back. We studied it in Acts 16 when he first came to town. And he said, I just, you have had a place in my heart. You're on my mind. You're on my heart. I'm thinking about you all the time. And that's wonderful. You know, people say that every now and then like, hey, thoughts, you know, sending thoughts your way. That, that's okay, that's good, that's friendly, that's kind, but then he takes it up a notch and he says, more than just being in my mind, more than just being on my heart, in my thoughts, you are always in my prayers. So I'm not just staying on this horizontal level with you. I'm thinking of you, I'm remembering you, I'm actually taking your name and I'm going to the throne of grace. I'm going beyond the heavens to where I shouldn't have access, but through Christ and through grace I have access and I'm bringing your name into that place. The word is deasis, it's making a petition. It's bringing a supplication uh, like Leviticus on behalf of others and that's what Paul is saying. I'm taking you with me in prayer to God. He's the one that can change two ladies there at odds. He's the one that can take someone who's not yet a believer in Christ and open their eyes to the goodness of Jesus and change them when there was no faith in Christ alone in, in their entire family for generations. And the Lord shines in to that moment, that situation. To be in someone's prayers is even better than being in someone's thoughts. Now, let me ask us this question. Is this how we relate to people in our lives? Are we, are we like Paul in this or we need to grow in this area? Are we thinking of people, not just self, are we thinking of others and are we praying for others? 
Are we taking the people, when, when you're driving down the road and you think of a person, you think of a family, you think of a friend, you think of a situation, a coworker, a neighbor, is the next follow-up going to God on their behalf? Because God knows their heart. The Spirit of God knows exactly what they're dealing with. And I said it earlier, when we're, when we're living life with other people, we can have some idea of what people are going through, but we can't know them inside and out, and God does. And God is the one who is able to change people and change circumstances and change entire situations for our good and for his glory. And so when we pray, we're asking God to do what glorifies him and what is best in every situation. And we don't, we don't often have the insight to this. His prayer life was intentional. So let's not be too busy to pray. Number four, deep fervency here. Paul had a deep fervency because he wasn't just praying, okay? So he's, he's not wasting any words. He's saying, I'm praying for you. But it's not, I'm praying for you, you know? Ugh. I'm praying for you, you know, like, oh, we were talking about it yesterday, the men's, you know, like the little guy in Sophie's class, I'm getting angry over here as a kindergartner, I'm getting angry, I'm getting angry, I'm angry, you know, we, we, that, that, that's been a, just an ongoing funny in our, in our family whenever somebody's getting angry, I'm getting angry, now you can carry that with you, okay, and maybe it'll, maybe it'll calm down the disagreement at some point in your, I'm getting angry. And you can just hear that and laugh instead of carry on and just go for broke in all the situation. He's saying, I'm praying for you. I'm remembering you always, but not because I have to. I'm an apostle. Okay, Lord, I'm going to pray for all these people. And then there's Eodia. <laughs> and Sintiki, really? You know, fortunate, unfortunate. Okay, he's giving thanks with joy. This is fervent prayer. This is, this is an overflowing individual with joy for these people. His prayer life was intentional. So it wasn't just, well, when I get around to thinking about y'all, I'll, I'll lift you up. I'll try to do my best to lift you up in prayer. No, he's saying this prayer is intentional. And he's bringing requests and he's bringing petitions on their behalf. He loves them. So he's going constantly to the Lord on their behalf. He wants them, and, and this is what he knows. I can write them a letter, but if this letter doesn't take root in their heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, it won't do them any good when trials come. When all of life is headed this way, and here comes the storm of a trial, and now all of life is completely turned around. And so he's writing to them knowing, I'm praying for you because I can't make this happen in you or for you, but God can but you have to come to the place of surrender. I can't tell you how many situations there are in years in ministry that there is what I think should happen in a situation physically, whatever it may be, health-wise, and the Lord doesn't answer my prayer in the way that I ask. So I have to go back to the Old Testament that God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm not God. And we can all say amen, glad to that, right? But yet I function like I want to be God when I blame God, I'm upset with God, I doubt God. And here's the key. 
Do I go to him with all of my struggle and with my doubts and with anger like the psalmists do, with all confusion? Do, where do I go with that? Do I run to him and to community or do I run from him and from community? That is the difference of the course of life. He knows what I need and he gives me the people in my life to help me, to be honest with me, to go through and it sometimes doesn't often doesn't solve everything except when I realize if I have God, I have enough. And 1,000 years from now and 1 million years from now, that statement will be everlastingly true. Conversely, for those who do not have God and they have good health and long years and great jobs and all success, but if they don't have God, they have nothing eternal. Think about that. Paul knew that. Ephesians 3.20. Love this prayer. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's able to do. There's a lot of things I am not able to do. I can't do it, but he is able. He is able. Paul's thankfulness was not just intentional, but it was infused with and circling back to a joy. Like joy was a part of his prayer life. He wasn't just going through the motions, grin and bear it, I'm gonna pray for these Philippians. It was infused with joy, unbreakable joy, unshakable joy. And this is the first mention of this word, and this word joy is the theme of this letter. So Paul has done all of this work to this point in an introduction, but now he's getting to the heart of his letter. I want you to know the joy of God. I want you to have the joy that is in every situation with peace that passes understanding, that you will look back and say, how did I make it through that season? Oh, the Lord carried me. The Lord was with me. The Lord sustained me. And the praise belongs to the Lord. And that is what Paul desires for these loved ones. L.O. Richards, he says it this way. He says, the deeper our relationship with Jesus and with his people, the greater the joy that awaits us. And the less that joy is dependent, and this is what I want, and this is what I long for for each of you, that our joy is less, the joy is dependent on external circumstances. Don't we need that in this century that we live in, this generation? If your joy is connected to who's in the office politically, for what your job is, for what the interest rate is, for what your plan is on purchasing a home or future or plans, Health, it's always subject to be robbed and gone. And this is what Paul's desire is for these, but I want your joy in some place, in someone, and it's secure. And he will give you the joy that will sustain you. When Paul 
uh, wrote to the Corinthians in the second letter, he said this in 124. He said, not that we lord it over your faith. Okay, so this, this tells us about Paul. That he wasn't like, I'm an apostle, and you all just need to shut up and listen to me because I'm an apostle, and you're not an apostle. I'm an apostle. You know, you apostle badge, you know, apostle chariot. Here he is coming in, rolling in the apostle, apostle. He says, no, this is my life. Not that we lord it over your faith. But here's what Paul said. We work with you. You hear the humility there? What's the goal? What's the aim? For your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. There's joy in obedience. And so Paul says, we're working together with you for your joy. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So that's true of overseers in a church. They will give account. I will give an account. We as elders will give account for the flock that the Lord has entrusted to us. So listen to the invitation here. Listen to what matches what Paul just said so that it doesn't say, you know, therefore get in line and... No, it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage of you to you. Do you hear the invitation? An invitation to obedience, let them give account with joy, not with grief. Number five, Paul knew this enduring fellowship. So we give thanks for our partnerships in the gospel. Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, When he thought about these Philippians, I mean, instantly he'd just go back to the riverside and there was Lydia. Couldn't find 10 Jewish men in Philippi. So he went out to the, beside the river, the river bank, and there he found them and he shared the gospel. The Lord opened their heart and they believed. Paul was grateful for their beginning. And this is what he's saying from the first day. I remember that first day. From the beginning, I am grateful for how salvation came to Philippi. And when he thinks about the beginning there and his gratitude, he's including salvation and scars. Yeah, they came to faith in Christ, but then comes the servant girl, and then comes prison, and then comes after, after the beating, and then he's, you know, with Silas being placed in the, in the stocks, and he's bloodied, and there they are at midnight, and they're singing and they're praising God. But he's saying, you know what? This, this partnership in the gospel, I'm thankful. He was grateful for their beginning. You know, they had 10 years. This is probably about 10 years after Acts 16. So for a decade, they've been together in the gospel. They've been partnered together. They've been sacrificially giving to him. They sent Epaphroditus to him. He had a gift. They're, they've been caring for him in such a faithful and sacrificial way. They financially supported Paul. They loved him. They didn't just say, be warmed and filled, our brother. They said, here's some money. Here's some food. Remember Lydia? <laughs> that was about day one. You're going to stay at our house. No, that's okay. No, you're going to stay at our house. No, that's all right. We'll, the Lord will provide. Yeah, he sent me, and I'm following him. You get your stuff, and you're going to be at our house. She prevailed on them. Like, yes, ma'am, said the apostle. Like, get your stuff, boys. This lady's serious. And I'll feed you, 
I'll do your laundry. I remember when we were traveling in the summer, we were in Texas. And it was one of these long weeks. That was the summer that Ginger and I traveled in a college group doing music. And I was in the back doing sound. They didn't trust me with singing. I don't know why. I have to work on letting that go and forgiving that. But uh, maybe it has something to do with my talent. But uh, So anyway, we were in this house. And uh, we stayed. They, they would break us up into different homes. And we were in Texas. It's been a long week. All our clothes were dirty from camp. You know, all the guys that we were staying. I think she took three guys into her house. And we were just there for late at night, and we were out the next morning. And she said, just put all your laundry down here. And we're like, really? <laughs> College guys, laundry, been at camp all week? She's like, yeah, put it all down here. We got up the next morning. It was all folded, warm, and stacked. And we were like, oh, this is amazing. She didn't sleep all night. She did our laundry all night, and she had boys too. So, I mean, that, maybe that was her normal life with boys playing sports. That's a Lydia kind of woman. And Paul said, I remember the beginning. I remember how this started. You just didn't say, thank you so much for sharing the gospel with me, and we'll see you next Sunday. Lord bless you. you know? You're like, no, come to my house. You're going to live at our house. We will take care of you. God has blessed me, and I'm going to bless you. He said that was, that was the first day. Paul was also grateful, grateful for their evangelism. Because here's where he uses that word. We're, we're partners in the gospel. This is the good news. This is the message of salvation of Christ alone. And that's what they were, that's what they were focused on. That's what was centered upon everything that they did. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you weren't here last Sunday, you missed the greatest message ever given. It's the gospel. It's online. You can find it. I didn't say the greatest speaker ever to speak. It's the greatest message. Ralph P. Martin, he says it this way. He said, we today might take the lesson to heart that the sign of our professed love for the gospel, now listen to this, is the measure of sacrifice we are prepared to make in order to help its progress. Let me read that again. We today, okay, so we look back at the Philippians and Lydia and all that, and we laugh and we enjoy it, and they did for Paul, but that's not where preaching, that's not where teaching stays for the Christian, for the believer. We say, well, that's what they did. How do I rightly understand that? Now, how should I respond how do I apply this? We today might take the lesson to heart that the sign of our professed love for the gospel, I love the gospel, is the measure of sacrifice we're prepared to make in order to help its progress. What is that level of sacrifice in our lives now? What has it been this year in our time, in our talents, and in our treasure? That's what God has given to all of us, time, talents, and treasure, and in different amounts. Like I said, not all of us can sing that well, okay? Different amounts of time. We will not all live the same number of years. We don't all have the same resources, bottom line, bank account. But God has given you something. And what are you doing with what he has given you? Not, well, you know, one day if I get a really good and get promoted and get, then I'll, no, you won't. No, you won't. That's a lie. What are you doing with what God has given to you now? Are you a partner in the gospel? 
thought-provoking questions for us. Paul was grateful for their endurance. For their endurance. <laughs> I've told you about Bob, the kid that was at our school uh, when I was young, and he went to a competition, and it was run the mile. And Bob, I don't think he trained for a minute. I mean, I was younger. He was older than I was, but I just heard it was legendary. Bob, gun goes off, and Bob was sprinting the mile. <laughs> if you've been here long enough, you know what happened to Bob. Everybody watched him doing unmentionable things on the side of the track as they continued to pace, run the mile. Bob didn't finish the mile. It was quite disgusting. Indoor track, nobody wants to see what happened to Bob. Paul is thinking about their lives. It wasn't just that they started strong and they started, you know, come on, you're in our house, said Lydia. They stayed that way. They're still running 10 years later this way. There's endurance that they have. The Apostle John says, there's no, no greater joy that I have than to hear my children walk in the truth. And there's no greater sorrow than when you look around and you think about who used to be running well. Remember what Paul wrote to the Galatians? You were running well. Who hindered you? Who tripped you up? What happened to you? Where'd you go? You had the right. You were in the meetings. You were in the prayer times. You were there. And where did you go? You were serving. It was your hand in the work of God, the partnership in the gospel. And what happened? But Paul's not saying that about the Philippians. He's saying, you're still right there. You're still right there. You know, gospel partnerships involve really four areas. Number one, generosity. That we see in the Philippians. They were generous. They were sacrificial. They gave uncomfortably to the ministry and to the offering, to where the people receiving the offering were saying, no, 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 that is too much. You have given too much. And they said, you'll take it, like Lydia. No, you will take it. The Lord will provide. Like, are you sure? That's what Paul told the Corinthians. You guys are rich. Are you really preparing? Because the, you know, all these Macedonians have given beyond their means. You surely don't want them to show up. And you're like, oh, yeah, there was an offering today. Let's see here. Oh, one, two, three. Well, if I give a stack of ones, it looks like a little more, and then we'll, you know, cover it up and send Paul on his way. So he says, get ready, prepare. Generosity is part of a partnership. Suffering is part of a partnership. Encouragement is involved in partnership and prayer. Those four areas, generosity, suffering together, encouraging one another, praying for one another. So how could we not just take a moment and look at our missionary partnerships? <laughs> and, and when you think about generosity, suffering, encouragement, and prayer, this characterizes the relationship of this body of believers, this church, with these individuals, uh, Harrison and Michelle Banda in Zambia. I just learned this this week. You know when this church took them on as, uh, as missionary partners? February 4th, 2004, the day Sophie was born. So all these years, what, 18 now, right? <laughs> Double check my math. 18 years this church has been partnered. It was Michelle at that time. Then they got married and then comes the children. Isaac and Gloria Shaw serving in India. 
This church began and entered into a partnership with them in 2008. Ken and Jenner Rudolph served in Germany. Lake Ann, now, now they're in a kind of a partial retirement. Uh, he's still busy, but 2010, we, we began and entered into partnership with them. Their uh, son, Richard, and his wife, Julia Rudolph, in Germany, they're making a transition right now in Germany, 2012. Ten years ago, we partnered with them. Irfan, Middle East, 2015, that was about the time that all that persecution was happening with ISIS. The Yazidi people were fleeing out to that hillside, waiting for someone to rescue them. And I thought, hmm, I put a, something came in the mail from a Middle Eastern ministry and I put it in my box. I didn't open it. And I, I went downstairs, the offices were next door. I went downstairs and I pulled it out of my mailbox and I went up and I put it in they used to have disc players in your computer. I put it in there and watched that video, and it was Irfan saying, we're serving, partner with us. And this church, like, yep, we'll do that. 2015. That same year, we partnered with Niku and Marta Sotir in Romania. 2017, we partnered and we entered in with Focus, Corey and Amy Fifield. Their five adopted kids that they just love. Jordan and Emily Barrett are our newest ones to PNG July of this year. It's almost like we can turn this back around from the first day until now. Like this church as a people, we have a heart to be partnered with these who serve the Lord on our behalf in partnerships around the world. These are our missionary partners. But it's not just for missionary partners. It's, it's, we're partnered together, church family. We're part of a body. We're part of a family. That we're, we're connected together. And there's endurance. There needs to be endurance. Some lack that ability. Some are tempted to go into isolation and be, be away from the gathering of the body. And that's where temptation is just at its heaviest. Because we're not designed to be alone. We're not designed to live all by myself. We're created for community. So my heart is broken for the ones who were in partnership and they're not in partnership. Some may not even be attending church anymore for one reason or another. Well, you know, here they didn't meet my standards, you know, so I'll go over there. No, they don't meet my standards. There are people now, they don't go to church anywhere. They didn't learn the lesson that Paul wrote to those two ladies. You need to, you need to work it out. If you're find, trying to find utopia here on earth, you're, you, you've misplaced. You're entitled, not grateful. You're not thankful because you don't deserve, I don't deserve to be serving here with you. Now I'll just, now I stole Paul's message and now I'll steal Ethan's testimony. I don't deserve to be here. It's the grace of God. And whenever I forget that and I get confused, then I start seeing how are people offending me? How are people not serving me well enough? How are people not befriending me enough? How are, what, all of those factors start to play because I'm, I'm voicing, and you need to know this, this is an entitled person talking and that needs to be dealt with because it's sin. Let me tell you what I was entitled to, hell. 
That's what I had coming. And that's what I deserved. And that's what you deserve. But God. And from that point, the focus goes up. And so we take from Paul's prayer life a right focus. How is our focus this morning? Are we focused on the right one? Our real friendship, I'm thankful for you. I love you. What a great church family. Man, we get together, whenever we get together for whatever we do, we just, we just laugh. Sometimes we freeze if we're outside working, you know, whatever. But we have fun. We have fellowship together. We go through the good times, the bad times. My heart, like Paul, for those who are wandering, is that they would return and not have the, the misunderstanding that, well, what will people think about me? Can we crush that with love and grace? Who cares what people think about you? What does God say about you? And who has he given you to be part of to walk through all the ups and downs of life together? Now that is a right perspective. This friendship that's real, not surface. This prayer life filled with thanksgiving that's regular in frequency. With joy, there's a deep fervency. And this is where it must remain, a fellowship that endures this partnership in the gospel. What's your place in serving in this partnership in the gospel? What's your next step of obedience? You take that today? Can we help you take that today? We're gonna sing, then we're gonna enter into a time of communion. James is gonna come and do our new city catechism that just sets us up for communion. We'll serve one another, but we remember, we rejoice. Thanksgiving, don't we have so much to be thankful for? Are we thankful people? Are we telling the people, I thank God for you? Are we thanking God for the people? That'll change. How can you be mad at someone and bitter at someone that you're thanking God for? You can't. How do you argue with a, gra- a person who's filled with gratitude? You can't. because their heart is in the right place. Their focus is in the right place. Let's stand together. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for what you have done and what you're doing in our lives through the gospel. Lord, I thank you for all of our missionary partnerships, and that would be impossible without people here giving sacrificially without people here remaining faithful, praying for them, loving them, caring about them. Father, I thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you for what the psalmist said, that you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Why? That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. 
we want you to always remember that you are loved. <laughs>